Amen. You may be seated. Let's take a few minutes here tonight. You know, folks, my undergrad degree in college was in education. And in education, they will teach you that the number one tool, Sunday school teachers, listen carefully. The number one tool in education is review, review, review. The more you go over something, the deeper it sets into hearts. And that's what Peter was saying when he said here in this passage, to stir them up by putting them in remembrance of these things. Your pastor's number one job is to just remind you of what you've already read in Scripture, most of you anyway. It's not his job to teach you new stuff. It's just his job to remind you of what you've already been taught, what you've already read. And if you're right with God, it's going to stir you. That's what the Word of God does. It stirs people up. And I hope you've been stirred this week. I hope you'll be stirred tonight. But let's, so I do not hesitate for a moment, folks, to review, to review. It's a godly thing to do. And so let's review what we've done as we, as we have been looking at 2 Peter chapter 1. If you want to be turning there, you'll be all set to go. 2 Peter chapter 1. And remember, we started preaching on Sunday night, verse number 5, where it says, and beside this, in other words, because you are gifted, verses 1 through 4 tell you that. All of you that are saved here tonight, which I hope is all of you, you're very gifted. You were given the gift of grace and the gift of peace, a gift of knowledge, a gift of life and godliness, a gift of a godlike nature. Because you are gifted, you are now to add to your faith with all diligence to be eager about this, to be enthused about it, to be moved by it. That you, this, this is, a, this is a, uh, just a, a, a groundswell in your heart that, mm, I want this. That's diligence. And we're to have diligence, and with that diligence, we're to add, which means to course together. We're all choir leaders. We're to add to our faith, and Peter then, because of the word add, I call them melodies. The Bible doesn't call them melodies. You don't have to call them melodies. I'm not offended. But I call them melodies just because of that word add, which means to chorus together. You're a choir leader. And Peter says these seven melodies are going to make you that you will be neither be barren nor unfruitful. If you're going to be good for God, you've got to have these melodies, people, in your life. All seven. They are what we call in theology sequential, which means it all starts with melody number one. In fact, if I could get my statues up here, that would be great. Why don't you come up, man, and and let's get ready. And I'm going to have you congregation say these statues out loud here in just a moment. But let's just kind of review that if these seven melodies, the Bible says that these seven melodies are in my life and they abound. Christians, would you chew on that for a minute? Yeah, you come on up here. Yeah, you're, you're on, Earl. You're on. Yeah, you're on. We could never let a, a good-looking guy like you get away. And so, yeah, you guys can be seated here. I'll, I'll, I'll have you stand just a moment. Remember, congregation, that Peter told you that if these things be in you and abound, God wants these seven melodies in your life to abound. Not just a little bit of virtue, not just a little bit of knowledge, not just a little bit of temperance, not just a little bit of patience, not just a little bit of godliness, but you overflow them. And when you overflow them, the Bible tells you that you're going to be fruitful. You're not going to be barren. Remember that word barren is used to describe somebody unsaved. It's possible for you to look unsaved. It's possible for you to be no more good for God on this earth than somebody unsaved. That, that ought to scare you. That ought to kind of move you a little bit. It ought to kind of concern you a little bit. Because as John 15 told us from our Savior, that he was the vine, we are the branches. He has saved us to bear fruit. You've got a natural desire to bear fruit. But we need to make sure that we understand that these seven melodies, if they abound in my life, they're going to make me useful in the hands of my Lord. And you want that. 
So on Monday night and Tuesday night, last night, we started looking at these melodies and, and we started talking about the, how they're, they're all kind of conjoined together. They're all kind of one unit. But it all begins with melody number one, which happens to be virtue. Remember what virtue is? Virtue is your ability. God commanded you to, ladies and men. God commanded you to make up your mind. To purpose in your heart. That theme is all through the Bible. And if you're going to be good for God, it all starts with you making up your mind. I'm going to do right. I don't care what's politically correct. I don't care what everybody else is doing. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love that hymn, I Am Resolved. In fact, maybe we could sing it in closing tonight, Pastor, if that would be okay. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world. That's, that's virtue. Resolving, making up your mind, I'm going to do right. Then and only then, are you ready to go to melody number two, which happens to be knowledge. Remember what we said about knowledge? Knowledge is just what you know about doctrine, what you know about the Bible. How well do you know the Bible? How deeply is it in your heart? The Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. I hope you're a rich container of the word of God. But all of us that are saved ought to have an attitude tonight towards the Bible like Paul did who said, I'm not there yet. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Then he says in the next verse, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. I think I got that backwards, but you get the idea. He's saying by those two phrases that I'm not there yet. He was in his 60s at the end of his life. He's a prisoner, and he's telling these Philippian believers, I'm not there yet. I'm still hungry. I want to get better. Every one of us in this room tonight ought to have that attitude. No matter what our background, whether we're college educated or not, whether we went to a Christian college, whether our dad's a deacon, you've been going to church your entire life, keep your hunger. Keep your zeal. Watch it. Protect it. All of us should be hungry tonight, no matter what your age, no matter what your strata. All of us ought to be very, very hungry for the Word of God. Well, remember, we also established the fact that in the Word of God, there's stuff that my flesh is going to react to. My flesh is going to find a lot of what that book says repulsive. And so one of our biggest battles is fighting the flesh. We call that temperance. Remember the word temperance in the Greek word, the Greek word for temperance literally means get a grip. Get a grip. And what are you getting a grip on? You're getting a grip on your thought life. You're getting a grip on your passions. You're getting a grip on your lust. You're bringing it into captivity. As, as he said, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, he said, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought, men, every thought, ladies, to the obedience of Christ. We call that getting a grip. We call that, with this Elizabethan language word, temperance. Temperance. It just means to get a grip. We can also use the word discipline if you'd like. It kind of means the same thing. Well, that melody is big time hard. Big time. So, so, so is that melody, to learn the Bible and to study it, to memorize it. That's hard too. But this guy's really hard. You're going to want to quit. So the next melody happens to be patience. Remember, the word patience just means to not give up. Keep on keeping on. One of the greatest pictures you have in the Bible is that of a marathoner. The marathoner, the marathon is a rough race. I told you that the other, the last night, I think, of running the Charleston Marathon. And, and I, by the way, I chose Charleston because it's incredibly flat. But the, the marathon is, it's, it's tough. It's hard. And so is the Christian life. Folks, I mean this with all sincerity. 
If anybody ever tells you it's easy to be a Christian, punch him in the forehead and tell him pastor sent you. It just is hard to be a Christian. It's hard. You're going to want to quit. So the Bible says don't quit. It's ungodly to quit, folks. It's ungodly to quit. I hope if your pastor invites me back in a couple of years, when I come back here, I'll see all of you still faithful and then some because you've had fruit. Wouldn't that be neat? Amen. All right. So. Now, we then come, after patience, we then come to this gentleman right here, and I put some distance, if you'll remember, I put some distance between these two melodies, because this is all kind of on the inside, this is all kind of personal, the rest of us don't know if that's going on in your life. This guy right here is the first indicator to the rest of us that that stuff's going on. We call this a fancy word, godliness. But all the word godliness means, don't you be afraid of that term. All the term godliness means is just, I want to look like my father. Children look like their parents. If you're saved here tonight, you're going to want to look like your father. How do you do that? It's always in the way you live. God doesn't have flesh. He's not confined to a body like you and me. The way that you and I look like our Father is in the way we live, the way we talk, the way we act, our reactions. People are watching us. And folks, we should welcome that. You should welcome people watching you. There ought to be a difference in your life. And friends, if you know that book right there, if you know the word knowledge, if you know the Bible, there are going to be standards in your life. You can't help it. There are going to be standards in your life that are going to make you different than the world. It is not legalism. Legalism is all about pride and arrogance, and I don't think anybody here is proud of the fact that you've got standards. We have our standards because we want to obey God. Could I get an amen? We want to obey God. And so because of that, I'm going to have standards in my life. So men, let's stand. Could we please? And congregation, your turn. Your turn. Your turn, okay? Your turn. You ready? Here I am. I'm you. I get saved. I'm no longer, as Ephesians 4 described, I'm no longer blind, I'm no longer ignorant, I'm no longer an alien, my understanding is no longer darkened. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 even says, I'm no longer dead. Isn't that interesting? And you hath he quickened. I love Ephesians 2.1. I love to preach it. It goes like this. And you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. I love that verse. I am no longer dead. I am no longer dead. And if you're saved here tonight, you're no longer dead either. Can I tell you something about being dead? I've done a lot of funerals. I did my mom's funeral. Well, it helped with it anyway. And I want to tell you what happened. She died about five years ago. My mom and dad, as I was sharing with some people today, my mom and dad retired in Hawaii. My dad still lives there. I try to visit him as often as I can to be a good son. But uh, he, he, um, they, they live in Hawaii, and, and my, 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 my mom passed away. And so my dad flew my mom's body back to Seattle where we, they have grave plots. And so we all met in Seattle. It was in the spring a number of years ago. And, and uh, for, 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 for some reason... And I don't know how this is going to hit you, but I'm going to say it anyway. For some reason, my dad wanted a viewing of the body of my mom. Now, we have very clearly instructed our son that when we pass away, keep the stupid casket closed. I don't want you to see a dead Mike Schrock. I want you to remember this, okay? <laughs> I, 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 so keep the casket. And my wife, my wife has said the same thing. Just keep the dumb thing. But my wife, my, my dad wanted an open casket. So I got there to the funeral home. The, the funeral was at the funeral home. And I went into the room there. I was by myself. And I went into the room where my mom's body was, was displayed. And I, I walked up to the side of the casket. And frankly, I was disgusted. Because what I saw in that casket looked nothing like my mom. 
I stayed there for about five seconds and walked out, never to look at it again. That's not how, that's not how I want to remember her. But a year later, my sister-in-law passed away to ovarian cancer. And uh, I did her funeral too. And for some reason, my brother-in-law wanted an open casket. And the cairn that I saw in that casket looked nothing like the cairn I remember. Friends, what a picture of you. Now that you're saved, you're no longer dead. It's kind of a picture of you in opposite, in reverse. You used to be dead. Can I, can I tell you something about dead people? They don't respond. Did you know that? No matter how loud I've played my trumpet at funerals, the body's never moved. I remember one time I was, they asked me to play my trumpet at a graveside funeral for uh, uh, somebody who'd been on staff at Bob Jones. And, and it took a while for everybody to get to the graveside from the church. And so we waited and we waited. Finally, the family said, Brother Mike, why don't you lead us in a singspiration with your trumpet? So there I stood right next to the casket. My trumpet, my bell's just, you know, this is the casket. My bell's right here. And I led the, there was a big group. We led, we had, we had a singspiration. And the whole time I played my trumpet, nothing moved. The body didn't move. It was loud, too, very loud. Outdoor, you have to play loud. And, friends, my point is this. And what Paul wants you to understand is that dead people don't respond to external stimuli. They just don't respond. That's why somebody can preach a message with all their heart and there be people out there sleeping. They're dead spiritually. But when you got saved, Paul wants you to know that when you got saved, all of a sudden you're no longer dead. You're alive. You respond. You hear the word preaching, yeah, you're all about, yeah, bring it up, yeah, yeah. You know, Christians are so weird. Have you ever noticed that? Now, let me tell you what happens. I'll be preaching away, and, 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 and after the service is over, I'll have people come by. It's happened this week. It's happened this week. I'll have people come by and say, Brother Mike, man, I like it when you preach. You step on my toes. You know what they're saying? They're sitting out there, and the word of God's preached, and they're sitting there going, Oh, ouch. Ooh, that was good. More please. Ooh, ah, man, that, yeah. Bring it on, buddy. I mean, they just get hammered, and we love it. We love that conviction. We love the Word of God hammering away at us. Christians are so weird. We're kind of masochistic, aren't we? But we love the Bible. We love it. We absolutely love it. Now, why am I telling you all this? Okay, I don't, I don't remember. So anyway, here I am. Here I am. So, oh, I remember. We're no longer dead. We're no longer ignorant. We're no longer blind. We're no longer aliens. Our understanding's no longer darkened. We are alive. We're alive unto the truth. We're alive unto God. Could I get an amen, church? All right. And from that moment on, now that I'm saved, from that moment on, I'm adding to my faith in every area of my life. My job, my family, my personal life, my entertainment, every aspect of my life, I'm adding to my faith Make up your mind. It all starts right there. I add to virtue. Stay hungry. Stay hungry. Not one of you are even close to being there yet. Well, there's stuff in there that your body's going to go, no. So I add to knowledge. Get a grip. Get a grip. Your body will always fight you spiritually. Your body, your flesh will always be an enemy. Always. You're going to want to quit. So we add to temperance. Don't quit. Keep on keeping on. It's ungodly to quit. Keep at it. Keep going right to the finish line, retirees. Don't quit. Keep running. Keep bearing fruit. Well, those four things are going on. I then add, I want to look like you. I want to have a good testimony. 
I, I want to come out from them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. I want a life that's holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. I, I want to look like you. Oh, my friend, I hope you've got that desire. Okay, very good, very good. Now, let's get into new material. We, who should I get, Uncle Sam? Dan Young. Dan? Dan? Dan what? Young. Young. Dan Young. Dan. Dan Young. Where's Dan Young? Oh, right here up front. All right. Cool. All right. You guys can sit down. Dan, thanks for volunteering. And uh, you can stand on that step there for a second. Yeah. Thank thank you for doing this, buddy. Let me tell you about this guy. Of all the seven melodies, this is my favorite to preach because it is so rarely talked about and it's so rich. You can sit down, Dan. You can sit down. Your King James Bible calls it brotherly kindness. Go ahead and say that out loud. That is a great translation. Now, it comes from a Greek word that we have a city in America named after. The city calls itself the city of brotherly love. That is a bad translation. And by the way, I've been to Philadelphia many times. I'll be there this fall. They don't love you. I can tell you from experience, they don't love you. But that is a bad translation, America. Philadelphia really means the city of brotherly kindness, and they're not kind either. City of brotherly kindness. Now, what I want you to focus on that will help you understand this melody is the word brother. Who are your brothers? Christians. Ladies and gentlemen, melody number six is referring to the way that you people Treat each other. Oh, let's camp here for a while. It is very important to God. Very important to him. And I'll prove my point here in just a moment. It's very important to God the way that you people treat each other. Let me tell you why. We are family. You and I, we're family. In fact, you and I fellowship at a deeper level than a man does with his wife that are unsaved. We are going to spend eternity together. We are family. May I remind you that God is so in love with what, is, what I'm looking at right now. God is so in love with it. He said, men, I want you to pattern your marriage and your love for your wife after how much I love this group right here. Now, friends, let that get a hold of your heart. It is very important to God the way that you treat each other. Let me give you an example. In 1 Corinthians 10, Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 8, you have a scenario that the Apostle Paul paints that goes like this. You go on visitation. You're with a brother who has just gotten saved. The two of you are going. What's implied there is that maybe that just been saved brother is learning how to witness from you. And, how, maybe you're call, and, and you go on visitation and you knock on somebody's door. Well, folks, let me tell you, in the New Testament era, in New Testament times, especially in the Middle East, if you knocked on somebody's door, the people you knocked on are incredibly flattered. Eastern Europe, Europe, Germany, they are very, very aggressive about hospitality. Very aggressive. They're very, very proud with how they treat a guest. And very rarely did a, did a, did a Middle East family ever eat meat. They would only eat meat on very special occasions. And when they had a guest show up at their house, they took great pride in their ability to be the right kind of host and the right kind of hostess. Let me give you an illustration. 
number of years ago, I was in Germany. I was over there in a small brass group, and we were touring all the American army bases doing gospel and patriotic programs. Really quite a unique experience that I'll be glad to tell you about some other time. But we were in Augsburg, Germany, and we did a Wednesday night program in a church. And after the service was over, a very well-spoken German lady came to our leader and said, Sir, I am an official tour guide for Augsburg. I would be honored if I could give you men a tour of our city tomorrow. Would you be interested? Our guide said, ma'am, we would love to. She spoke great English. Our our leader said, ma'am, that's so nice of you. Yes, we'll take you up on that. Thank you. We met her at about 8 o'clock that next morning in downtown Augsburg. She had us play the German national anthem from the center of the city because it was the 650th anniversary of Augsburg. We then put our instruments in the van, and we were given all day this wonderful tour by this very well-spoken, articulate lady. We were walking down one of the sidewalks. Augsburg is huge, and it's, it's old. Very, lots of history there. But we were walking along, and I happened to spot an ice cream shop. And I looked at the leaderboard, and they had coconut ice cream. That's kind of rare. I immediately, with lightning quick quickness, I left the group, ran over there, took out some Deutsche Marks, and paid for that ice cream cone, and quickly rejoined the group. As we're walking along, looking at all the sights and enjoying everything, and I'm sucking on my ice cream cone, all of a sudden, our hostess was in my face. Michael, where did you get that ice cream? I thought immediately, she's implying I shoplifted. I kind of took a step back and I said, relax. I I just bought it. And this is exactly what she did. She smacked her lips and went. I thought, good grief, what did I do? How did I hurt this lady? My leader came to me about a minute later and said, you need to apologize. I said, Mr. Conley, why? You bought your own ice cream cone. She felt it her duty as our hostess to pay for everything. I wish some of you would get that attitude. Our, our attitude, you know, I, I offended her by buying, and, and folks, Germans are very hospitable. They're like that. Europe is very like that. And so was the Middle East. Now come back to Paul. Paul said, here you are with a brand new Christian brother. He's just been saved. You go to somebody's house. They immediately roll out the red carpet. Oh, come in. And they immediately put, sit you down at the kitchen table and slap in front of you a nice, thick ribeye steak. Boy, if they always did that on visitation, you'd go, wouldn't you? Well, as you're about to delve into that meat, you hear this. Psst. Psst. It's your brother. I know where they got this meat. This is meat that's been offered to idols. And people, it probably was. Everybody, I mean everybody in Ephesus, everybody in that type of world worshipped the idols. And one of the forms of worship was to bring meat to the temple priests and priestesses. They had way more meat than they could ever consume. So they had a market where they would sell this excess meat at a greatly reduced price. It was like the Costco or the Sam's Club of the New Testament world. You get a great deal. And so so that brand new just been saved brother is probably right. This is meat that probably has been offered to idols. You know what Paul said? Paul said way back in Romans, he said, eat the meat. The belly's for it's just meat, it's intended it's just food. That's all it is. That's what he's saying. It's just food. But you got a problem. You got a problem. Because that just been saved brother has been saved out of that system. And by your liberty, and there would be nothing wrong with you eating it, you're not sinning against God. 
But by your liberty, you're going to offend that brand new Christian brother. His system is not ready to handle that yet. He's not mature like you. And so you are in a royal pickle. If you don't eat the meat, you're going to offend these people that are unsaved that you're there to witness to. But if you do eat the meat, you're going to offend this brother and maybe, just maybe, send him right back into that system because his system can't handle that yet. What do you do? You're in a no-win deal. What do you do? You know what Paul said? Don't eat the meat. Don't eat the meat. Folks, would you take that a step further? Listen to what Paul's saying. He is saying, it is far better to offend somebody unsaved than one of my Christian brothers or sisters. Why? Why? Jesus himself said, it would be good if you commit suicide in a lake rather than offend one of my children. Why? Because people, we are eternally related. We're family. I love this verse. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love for the unsaved. Is that what it says? No. Love for one another. When somebody unsaved comes into this auditorium, the best thing they could see, the best thing they could see is you people looking out for each other. Hey, uh, can I mow your lard? Are you doing all right? You, you guys just inter- interacting and, and just having a good time together and, and concerned about each other and praying for each other and, and, and not bad-mouthing each other. I mean, you, you get along so well. Oh, God loves it when this church is unified. He loves it. But I remember my dad saying decades ago, Christians are like porcupines. They got a lot of fine points, but you can't get close to them. I hope you're not like that. So, when it comes to brotherly kindness, understand, friends, that that is a melody that is incredibly important to God and should be to you. You let that get a hold of your heart, Christian, and maybe you'll be a little less stuck up and expecting people to come to you and say hello, but you'll go out of your way and you'll reach out and realize that you are ministering to God's daughter, God's son. You are definitely ministering to God's family, and God is going to hold us accountable. You be careful, folks. You be careful. God's going to hold you accountable for what you say about this body out there in the public. This is his family. This is your eternal family. And let me take it a step further. I hope you're closer to people in this church than you are your unsaved relatives. You know, I, I, I hear so often, well, I can't make church, Pastor, Sunday night because my, my aunt is having a baby shower. If that family knew how much you love God, they would plan their baby shower some other night. Stay loyal to your family. Stay loyal to your brothers and sisters. You and I are going to be together for eternity. Give me an amen. amen. Yeah, yeah. So let's stand, man. Let's stand, okay? So here I am. Your turn to talk, congregation. You ready? Here I am. I'm you. Boop. I get saved. I got to hurry. Here we are. I'm you. I'm, from that moment on, after I'm saved, I'm no longer blind. From that moment on, I add to my faith. Virtue. Make up your mind. I add to virtue. Stay hungry. Add to knowledge. Get a grip. I add to temperance. Don't quit. I add to temperance. I want to look like you, and because I do look like you, I'm going to add, let's have a potluck. I love hanging out with Christians. Let's have some coffee. Better yet, Mountain Dew. I love hanging out with Christians. All right, so, Brother David, who should I get from Melody 7? Uh, Derek. Derek? Okay, thank you. Men, you can sit down. You can sit down. Derek, the song leader that doesn't flap. Okay, all right. All right, Derek, no, don't, don't sit, don't sit. Icing on the cake. Huh. Icing on the cake. Not only because of his hair, 
But let me tell you why. This, folks, this is the ultimate melody. And there are gobs and gobs of churches every Sunday in the greater Lafayette area that are talking about love, 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 and they don't know what they're talking about. Because there are six melodies you have to go through before you get to level seven. And this is the ultimate melody, folks. This is the ultimate melody. And your Bible, your King James Bible says charity. But ladies and gentlemen, the same word, the same Greek word is translated elsewhere in your King James Bible for the word love. They're used interchangeably. So for the sake of understanding tonight, would it be okay if we say love? Would that be okay? I know it says charity, but let's, let's use love just for, the, just for the preaching's sake, okay? So now, let's, let's establish. You can sit down, Derek. Thank you. Thou, the, there, there are two great commands in the Bible, aren't there? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and thy neighbor as thyself. Two greatest commands in the world. Now, I think our enemy, I think our enemy has done a great job in confusing our orders. If I were to walk around this room, especially young people, and I were to ask you, what is love? I would get all kinds of different answers. And let me tell you why. You've been lied to, America. By Hollywood. You've been lied to. Even Christians have been misled. Let me tell you what love is and let me tell you what it isn't first, okay? Let me tell you what love isn't. In fact, I'm going to make a couple statements that are going to shock you. I realize that. In fact, you are welcome to go. <gasps> In fact, let's try that, would you? When I point at you, say, do that, would you please? You ready? Let's try it. Very good. Okay, get ready to do it again, all right? It's going to shock you. Love has nothing to do with romance. Nothing. Nothing. Now romance may be involved in some love, but it's not love. If you base your marriage on romance, it won't last. Now there can be romance involved, and that's fun, but it's a very minor part of marriage. It has nothing, people love, has nothing to do with romance. Nothing. Sorry, Hollywood. Nothing. Let me, get, let me, let me throw another one at you that's going to shock you. You never, ever, ever fall in love. You may fall in lust. You may fall in eroticism, but you never fall in love. Never, ever, ever do you fall in love. Oh, here's another one that's going to shock you. This is my last one, I promise. Love has nothing to do with feeling. Nothing, nothing. Now, feeling may get involved, but that's not love. It has nothing to do with romance. It has nothing to do with falling. It has nothing to do with feeling. What is romance? Oh, hear this carefully. It's not romance. What is love? Mike, what is love? Now, let, let, me, let me throw it at you this way. You can serve. You can serve without loving. But you can't love without serving. People, love is always an action. It's an action. It's not something you have. It's something you do. In fact, love in the Old Testament was a verb. It wasn't something you had, it's something you did. I will repeat, you can serve without loving, but you can't love without serving. Love is what we call people, I'm going to throw a big technical word at you that is so theological. 
Love, good love. The love that makes a marriage last. The love that you're to have for God. The love you had for your neighbor. Love is always what we call in theology volitional. Volitional. Say that word with me. Volitional. Let me tell you what that means. The word volitional, we get our word volt from. It means to choose. It's, it's, it's to make a choice. Love is always something that you choose to do. Not that you choose to have, you choose to do. It's a verb. You choose that object that you're going to serve. So my, my next question would be, what have you done, Christian? You say you love God. What have you done to serve him? What have you done? What have you done that counts for eternity? You say you love your neighbor. How have you served him? You love church members. How have you served him? It's all about serving. It's all about giving. I was uh, eating at a restaurant a number of years ago with my, my wife and my son. It's a, it's a restaurant chain we have down south called Fats, F-A-T-Z. It's a, it's a great restaurant. I love it. And uh, we, we were in there, and it was a Saturday afternoon, and kind of late in the afternoon, like 2 o'clock, and we sat down at the table, and our waitress came up, and I thought, mm, this is going to be fun because this is one of those rare waitresses that had personality. She was friendly. And uh, she came up to our table, and she said, Hello, folks. My name is Wendy, and I'm going to be your waitress today. What can I bring you to drink? I immediately spoke up and said, Wendy, my name is Mike. That's Lori, and that's Drew. She took a step back and said, well, hello, Mike, welcome, and hello, Lori, and hello, Drew. What can I bring you people to drink? I said, Wendy, I would like eight Coca-Colas with cherries. She took a step back and she said, you want eight Coca-Colas with cherries, Mike? I said, yes, Wendy. Did you hear about the guy that drank eight Coca-Colas? She said, no. I said, he burped seven up. <laughs> Some of you may get that tomorrow. But Wendy was sharp. She immediately got it and she said, Mike, that is good. I'm going to use it. I heard her telling another table about two minutes later. <laughs> now, before I, before I continue with this illustration, I need to make sure you understand something. I am not hitting on this 20-something girl. I'm not hitting on her. I'm going to be leaving a track. And I wanted to know that Christians can be fun. Christians can be friendly. I've had a number of waitresses tell me that they don't like working on Sundays because church people don't tip. You tightwads tip the poor things. And if you don't, please don't leave a track. You hurt our cause. But uh, let me tell you what happened. Wendy gave us great service. One of the best waitresses I have ever had. I even got a free dessert out of the deal. It pays to be obnoxious. But I share that with you, folks. And, and by, by the way, let me tell you what happened. I left a nice tip. I left a track. And as we were leaving the restaurant, I happened to look back through all the glass, way back in the kitchen, way over, and then I saw her standing there reading that track. Does that count for eternity? I don't know. That's between her and the Lord. But I have a question for you, congregation. Did Wendy give us great service because she choose, chose to love us? No. Why did Wendy really give us great service? She wanted a good tip, like any normal waitress. But yet, right across the table from me at that lunch sat another lady who has waited on me hand and foot like no other woman in my life. She is amazing. It is amazing what she puts up with. It's amazing that she lets me be gone from her for a week so I can minister to people like you. She is such a sweetie. You would love her. 
and she has waited on me hand and foot. And 40 years ago, she stood on the platform of a large church in Greenville, South Carolina called Hampton Park Baptist Church. And in front of hundreds of people who were all there to see her, she said publicly, I am choosing to serve this jerk. <laughs> now, she would never say that, but that's really what, what happened. She, would, she chose to love me. She chose. That was a choice she made. Ladies and gentlemen, the greatest ingredient in your Christianity is your love. Men are so thick. Men, we are so self-absorbing. We're so self-focused. How rare it is to meet a, a mature Christian man that is willing to serve others. It's hard to find. It's hard to find. Women are better at it. Because I think it has to do with, with, with our culture. Women are just kind of taught to serve. You know, wait on tables, wash dishes. Men aren't. And I think that's kind of sad. But my point is this, friends. All of you have been commanded to serve. And that is ultimately what is going to make you useful. That's the ultimate melody. That when I have that melody in my life with these six that support it, that cause it, I am going to be fruitful. People can't help it. Man, you're living that stuff right there. People aren't going to help it. They can't. Your workmates, your neighbor, they can't help, man. Wow. You bring cookies. You mow your neighbor's yard. You're, doing, you're constantly doing stuff for other people. You're constantly serving. That's the kind of Christian God's looking for. Wow. That's a tall order. So, let's close here tonight. Men, could we, could we stand? Let's do this twice, okay, congregation? Your final exam. So, here we are. The first time through, we'll go slowly. Second time, we'll race through it. So here we are. I'm you. I get saved. By the way, did you know that 90% of all Christians got saved before the age of 19? If you got saved after the age of 19, you're a rare statistic. But Amen. But when you got saved, the Bible says from that moment on, in every area of your life, no matter how long you've been saved, whether you're a new convert, whether you've been saved for decades, you are to add to your faith... Stay hungry. Stay hungry, friends. No, excuse me. Not, don't stay hungry. That's him right there. He, make up your mind. Make up your mind. Make up your mind. All right? Well, so I'm going to make up my mind. I want to please him. I then go to the manual to find out what does please him. We call that stay hungry. Did you hear me? Stay hungry. You're not there yet. Well, there's stuff in there that your, your, your flesh is going to go, no. And so you have to get a grip. We call that, well, he's hard. This guy right here is hard. I believe that this is where most of you break down. Just bringing in discipline in your life to have devotions, to memorize the Word of God, to be faithful in church. It's all about this guy right here. He is hard, but he is so incredibly important. That's why he's number three, right after the Bible. Discipline, temperance. You're going to want to quit. Christianity is hard, young people. You're going to want to quit. But one of the ways you know you're really saved is you don't quit. There's always perseverance. We call that patience. Patience. Well, this is all kind of personal. This is all kind of inside. The next one we call is the first outward manifestation. It has that stuff has an effect on the way I live. It has an effect on the way you live. That's why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, I, the prison of the Lord, beseech you, I beg you, I plead with you, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. We're all about walking. Our walk is so vitally important to God and should be to you. Well, we call that godliness. And if I am godly, then I'm going to be careful how I treat other Christians. We call that? I love church. I love God's people. They're my best friends. I feel awkward around the unsaved. I feel kind of out of joint like E.R. Jordan said. 
Well, if I'm, because I have brotherly kindness, I then want to have a ministry, and we call that love. What can I do? How can I serve? What can I do that counts for eternity? Okay, one more time. One more time. Real quickly, all right? Real quickly. I'm out of time. Here I am. Boop! I'm saved. I add to my faith. Make up your mind. I add to virtue. Stay hungry. I add to knowledge. Get a grip. I add to temperance. Don't quit. I add to patience. I want to look like you. I add to godliness. Let's have potluck. I add to brother kindness. Love. How can I serve? What can I do? There is always motivation. I want to do something. I want to serve. That's a mature Christian. Now, in closing, would you look up that way? Ladies and gentlemen, what the Holy Spirit has done to you is he's given you a huge seven-voice choir that every one of you are commanded to add to your life. Why seven? Because these seven melodies absolutely summarize the entire scope of Christianity. Every message you've heard over the years as you've been saved fall under one or several of these melodies right here. In a masterful stroke that only the Holy Spirit can do, He has given you a huge summary of Christianity. Everything about the Bible is right there in the seven melodies. And the Bible says, teachers and pastors, keep reminding my people of these things. Do you remember that in verse 8, 9, 10, 11, 12? These things. There it is. There it is. How you doing, choir leaders? How you doing? Could we bow our heads and close our eyes? Gentlemen, thank you. You can go back to your seats. Thank you so much for your help. By the way, pastor's got 20 bucks for each of you for doing that here tonight. So uh, you see him, see him after the service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a, what a challenge. Lord, as I'm pointing my little finger, I got three pointing back at me. Lord, what, how convicting. And God, I pray that you'd help us to understand just the significance of this little chapter written by a man who absolutely adored the church. And he knows he's about to die a martyr's death, and he left behind these instructions for us that were to add to our faith, to chorus, to choreograph to our faith, virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. God, I realize tonight we got a lot of work to do. And Lord, I pray for this congregation, Lord, how sweet they have been, how easy to preach to But Lord, I also know that you're talking to hearts, you're speaking to hearts, you're moving people, you're stirring people. God, I pray that that stirring